Luke chapter 24, and uh, we will begin with verse 13. Um, yesterday morning, as I was uh, just uh, looking over my message, I came across this tweet on Twitter. You know, it's not often I quote something on Twitter, but uh, I thought this was uh, very helpful. He, he said this, Every year, Holy Saturday hits me hard with the memory that the silence of God isn't the absence of God. Saturday was a very diff- difficult day following the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, everyone had lost all hope. And uh, this morning we are going to be looking at two men who, who gave up. Uh, they had been in Jer- Jerusalem. They had witnessed all the events that had occurred on Friday. Uh, they were despondent, disillusioned. They couldn't believe what had happened Saturday. It was as if God was silent. It was as if God was absent. And maybe you're here and you are feeling like the two men that were going back home on the road to Emmaus. Well, Jesus has some encouraging words for all of us this morning that even though there are times where God might be silent, he is never absent. He is risen. He is alive. He is the only living God, and you can trust him regardless of the circumstances. And so let's begin with verse 13 this morning. That very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all of this, It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with them, with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him 
they did not see. We're going to look all the way through verse 35 this morning, but I want to stop here for a moment and uh, just look at uh, this sermon that Jesus is about to give. This is the day of his resurrection. He is alive, and we are going to see probably the most powerful sermon ever preached. Now, we don't have the details of this sermon, but uh, we can, we can kind of guess as we go through this message this morning. But first, I want you to see the crowd that he was preaching to. It was not a big audience. In fact, it was just two people. And one of them, we don't even know their name. Um, the other, his name is Cleopas. And the reason why we know his name is it because he filled out a guest registration card. Okay? The other one didn't. But here they are walking back to Emmaus from Jerusalem. How far is Emmaus from Jerusalem? It's about six or seven miles. It's, a, it's about the same distance between Ridgecrest and Inukern. And the Bible says in verse 16 that these two men did not recognize uh, Jesus, who they were talking to, who was talking to them. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I wonder why their eyes were kept from, from recognizing him. I have a hunch because Jesus is wanting to draw these men back to what the word of God says about the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to fulfill prophecy of the Old Testament. And he's about to take these men uh, through the Old Testament scriptures. And had they recognized Jesus immediately, Jesus probably wouldn't have been able to have that opportunity. There would have been a huge celebration and uh, people would just be so excited about the fact that Jesus was alive. But Jesus knows that he's got only 40 days until he's going to ascend back to heaven. And Jesus knows that these men and the other followers who are back in Jerusalem and those who have listened to the apostles' teachings, who have what we have recorded in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching all of us this morning that, yes, Jesus is in heaven. He is our mediator. He is at the right hand of the Father. He has not left us alone, but he has left us the word of God and you and I need to know the word of God and depend upon the word of God and grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is through the word of God. The word can be trusted. And so that's what Jesus is about to do in this moment. 
And the Bible says in verse 17 that they are looking really sad. But it's amazing that Jesus knows. He knows exactly what these men are thinking. He comes alongside of them, and he wants to minister to them. Jesus isn't just all about the crowds, church. Jesus is about people. He's about individuals. And he's come to preach his very first sermon following his resurrection to two individuals. And Jesus is really good at this. You know, we remember the story of the woman at the well how she was isolated. In fact, the examples I'm going to share, they were all isolated. They were all kind of like outsiders looking in. And this woman at the well who was coming by herself to draw water, Jesus made an appointment with her. She didn't know it, but Jesus was there to greet her and to talk to her. She knew that this woman was spiritually thirsty and looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. She had an issue with men. And there had been a lot of men in her life. And yet she was still empty. And Jesus said, I am living water. And if you'll just believe me, and if you'll trust me, if you'll drink from me, I will quench your thirst for all eternity. And Jesus transformed her life. And she became an evangelist back to her hometown. There's the woman at the well who was alone. There was the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Again, she was an outsider looking in as well. Because Jewish law says a woman who is bleeding in his is unclean. She is not to be touched. She's not to be associated with. And here she had been living with this condition for 12 years. She had spent all of her resources and nobody could help her, but she heard Jesus was coming through the town. And there was a crowd around him and she's thinking to himself, that I can just break through this crowd and touch, just touch the hem of his garment he can heal me. The Bible says, as he was pa- passing by and as she broke through that crowd and reached and touched the hem of his garment, Jesus immediately felt that. And he's asking, who touched me? And the disciples are saying, Jesus, everybody's touching you. You're surrounded by people. And Jesus, no. There's one here who was desperate for my presence. And it was this bleeding woman. And she confessed. And Jesus healed. We read of the story of Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Jews hated tax collectors. They thought they were thieves. And they worked for the Romans. Here is Zacchaeus, friendless, isolated. 
hears Jesus is passing by. He gets up in a sycamore tree because he wants to see. As Jesus is passing by, he stops dead in his tracks and looks up at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. And through that relationship, through that interaction, that conversation, Zacchaeus' life was transformed. And then last week, we were in the Old Testament looking at Hagar, a slave of, of Abraham and Sarah. Hagar became pregnant with Abraham's son, and she was removed from the household. And as she fled, the Bible says she found herself in the wilderness, crying out to God, isolated and alone. And the angel of the Lord came in her aloneness, in the hearing the anguish of her cry and saying, Hagar, I know you're with child and you're going to have a son and you are going to name his, his name is going to be Ishmael, meaning God hears. God hears. God saw these men, and Jesus came alongside of them in their despondency and in their hopelessness and asked the question, what are you talking about? He knew the answer to that question, but he wanted to hear it from these men. And I want you to know this morning, friend, if, if you find yourself like any of the ones I've just identified in the New Testament or the Old, God hears. God wants to hear from you. And so these men began to talk. And you notice as they share, starting in verse 19, that they speak in the past tense. All the hope, all the trust, all the confidence they had in Jesus was gone. Jesus was crucified. And it was over. And it's the third day. And they are sad. And they are depressed. And they're walking home. They're thinking it is over. And it's the third day. Now, understand, this is the first third day. Now, we've had a lot of third days since then, haven't we? And, uh, you know, when we be, start singing those Easter songs and we start talk, singing about the third day and we start singing about the resurrection, guess what? We get excited, don't we? Jesus is alive. But here these men on this first third day are sad. And they've heard the information. Verse 23, the Bible says, They've heard 
that Jesus is alive. But this information is secondhand information. They haven't seen it personally. My friend, if, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to change your life, you can't receive it secondhand. You've got to receive it firsthand. You have to experience the person of Jesus Christ. They had not seen Jesus themselves. But Jesus saw them. Jesus saw their sadness, their hopelessness. I want you to know, friend, Jesus sees every single person. I have to confess, I have really bad eyesight. You know, I'm not wearing these glasses right now because if I read, wear these glasses, I can see you, but then I can't see my notes, okay, or read my Bible. So oftentimes I take my glasses off. And so you're all blur. <laughs> Sorry. But you're not a blur to Jesus. He has perfect eyesight. And he sees each and every one of you. And he specializes in one-on-one relationships. When Hagar had that conversation with the angel of the Lord back in Genesis chapter 17, she understood that God heard the, her anguish cry. The Bible says where she had that conversation with the angel Lord, she named that place El Roy. She gave God a new name, El Roy, the God who sees. Or the God who helps us see him. That's who Jesus wants to be in each and every one of our lives. Jesus saw the crowd, two people. And he sees the individual. Now, let's listen to the content of his sermon. Let's start with verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory, into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Bible says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he's going to preach his first sermon. Church, this is a great sermon. You know what qualifies as a great sermon? When the pastor uses the scripture, pointing to Jesus Christ. That is the best 
kind of preaching. And that's what Jesus is going to give these men. He takes them back to the Moses and all the prophets and explains the, Christ, the scriptures as how they point to Christ. So he uses scripture. That's where you are going to find God, my friend. Jesus sees you, but how do you know he sees you? We learn these things through the word of God. We don't learn them by feelings. We don't learn them by singing um, songs that will, will, will just stir up our emotions and our, and our heart towards him. As soon as we leave those places, those things fall away. What lasts is the Word of God. And as we're in the Word, the Spirit of God, the truth of God's Word encourages us. And this is how we experience Jesus firsthand. It's not by nature. I love being in nature. I love going fishing in the Sierras and the beauty of God's creation. And we can know something about God, but we don't know God himself and his word. We don't learn it through nature. We don't learn it through dreams. We don't learn it, learn it through movies or songs or a gut feeling. We learn it through the word of God. And so this content that Jesus is about to convey is going to be pulled from the Old Testament, the Word of God. And so Jesus uses Scripture, and then it all points to the Savior. Verse 27 says that these Scriptures, verse 27 says, last part, in all the Scriptures concerning himself. My friend, if you read the Old Testament, there are a lot of scriptures that pertain to the person of Jesus Christ. And when you listen for a message, what makes a message real, biblical, is the fact that the messenger is pointing the audience to the cross of Christ and why Christ came and died for our sins. That is the that ought to be the heart of every sermon preached. And I know I preach a lot of sermons, but church in every ser- sermon there is a way that you can draw it back to the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Remember that commercial years ago, that Wendy's commercial? Where's the beef? Well, the question we need to be asking ourselves when we hear a preacher of God is, where's the cross? Because that is our only hope. Our only hope is in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. In preaching God's word, there ought to be a bloodline to Calvary in every sermon. And here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we preach Christ and him crucified. That is 
our only hope. And so Jesus opens up the scriptures and he preaches about the things concerning himself. You know, he's the only preacher who can talk about himself and still be right with the Father. I like that. So what did he say? What were the contents of his first sermon? We, we can only speculate in this, in this uh, service this morning. But I want you to consider some things. You know, when it says that he took them back to uh, the Moses and all the prophets, I'm sure he started with the first five books of the Bible. And a great place to begin is Genesis 1.1. He said, you know, guys, the Bible says in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to know that was me who did that. You know, on day one, when uh, God separated the light from the darkness, you know who the light was? That was me. I'm the light of the world. You know, you know Adam and Eve in Genesis uh, chapter 2 and 3, and you know when I, I was walking through the, the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve, and they were hiding themselves because uh, they were rebellious uh, against God's word. They had broken what God had told them not to do. You know who that is? That's you, okay? You're the sinners, But when a sacrifice was made uh, on their behalf, because they they were guilty, they were full of shame because they were naked before God. Before they had disobeyed, they had no problem how God had created them. They had no shame about their nakedness. But because of their sin, I had to make a sacrifice. You know what that sacrifice represents? Me. That sacrifice, that skin covered their guilt and their shame. And that's what I do when people give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. You know, in Genesis chapter 6, when the world was in rebellion and uh, God said he was going to pour out his judgment and he was going to flood the world. But uh, he came across Noah, told Noah to build an ark. And if people would just believe and trust in me and get in that ark um, and be rescued, spared from the judgment that I brought on the world, that they would live. You know who that ark represented? That was me. Abraham and Isaac, as they were going up that mountain, Mount Moriah, and God had told Abraham to sacrifice his son of promise, Isaac, this son that he had waited 25 years for. Now he's a teenager, and God tells him to sacrifice Isaac. God wants to test Abraham's heart. And Abraham, full of faith, Um, believing God, obeys God, takes his son up Mount Moriah, lays him out on the altar, 
takes the knife, raises the knife, is ready to sacrifice his son, and the Spirit of the Lord stops Abraham and says, Abraham, I've provided another sacrifice. There's a ram in the thicket. Sacrifice that. You know who that ram is? That was me. I was the substitutionary sacrifice. Rahab. Um, before the walls of Jericho were to to become tumbling down and Israel was becoming going into the, uh, the, the promised land, there was Rahab who put a scarlet um, scarf on the outside of the wall. You know what that scarlet scarf represents? That rep- represents me. I'm the scarlet thread of the Old Testament. I'm the one that David said is his shepherd. I'm the one whom David says is his firm foundation. I'm the one that Solomon said that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous can run to it and be saved. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. I imagine Jesus saying, I am the one who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I am the one who was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquity. I am the one who bore the chastisement and the stripes for your peace. I am the one who walked silently before its shears. I am the one who was led to the slaughter, who was cut off from the land of the living. Let's go to Psalm 22, verse 1. I am the one who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he was suspended between heaven and hell, dying for your and I's sin. We can know who Jesus was just by reading the Old Testament. Jesus was the stem of Jesse. Jesus was the root of David. Jesus was the seed of the woman. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the day spring from on high. Jeremiah called him a righteous branch. Zechariah called him a king. Malachi called him the messenger of the new covenant. Job said, I know my Redeemer lives, and I will stand before him on the last day. Solomon said he was the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. Hosea called him the Lord of hosts. Moses called him the I Am. And Jesus said, I am the I Am. My friend, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament is all about Jesus and our need for salvation. The whole Bible drips with the blood of redemption. And I, my friend, we all stand in need of God's redemption through the person of Jesus Christ. And we don't know these things. We don't learn these things unless we are sitting underneath biblical preaching, focusing on the cross and all Christ has done for us. And in his word daily. The Bible is all about Jesus. I'm sure, I, 
I can just imagine the sermon Jesus preached to these two people. You know, uh, I heard this. Um, I, don't know, I heard this story about this uh, preacher who came to this little little church, and weather was poor, and just a few people um, came to hear this sermon, this pastor's sermon, and he preached hell, fire, and brimstone. And uh, following the service, uh, he said, well, what did you guys think of the sermon? And uh, one of the farmers said, well, well, pastor, you know, if, uh, if I have some cows come to be fed and um, only a couple out of the herd show up, I don't give them the whole bale of hay. <laughs> Jesus gave them the whole bale of hay. And I'm sure it was a phenomenal message. Now, let's look at verses 28 through 35 as what happened as a result. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I'm sure that was an understatement. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, "The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In the breaking of the bread, the Bible says they saw Jesus. You know, in verse 16, their eyes were prevented from seeing Jesus. But they have heard this incredible sermon this wonderful Bible study about the person of Jesus Christ. And then in the breaking of the bread, I think that symbolizes um, the Lord's Supper and, and them recognizing what Jesus had went, went through and all that they've heard him say. And the Bible says their eyes were open. The Spirit opened their eyes. They could see for the first time. El Roy, the God who helps see, caused them to see Jesus. How do we see Jesus? My friends, we see Jesus by being in the Word of God. Believing believing what Jesus has done for us on the cross 
and that you stand in need of his forgiveness. And as you surrender your life to him, guess what? You experience him for the very first time. You are baptized into Christ, the Bible says. And the Bible promises when you make this decision, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am always going to be there, even in the silent times, even in the Saturdays, in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. I am alive. And he is the only God who can say that. There is no other God. And so my prayer for you this morning is that God would open your eyes to all that Jesus has done. That's what God did. That's what God did, Jesus did through uh, Saul as he was going on the road to Damascus looking to crucify Christians. And Jesus stopped him in his path. And he said this, Acts chapter 26, verse 18. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, Saul, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those sanctified by faith in me. So my encouragement to you this morning, if, you, if you're without Christ, I don't know how many Easter services that you've been coming to over the years, how many sermons you've listened to. If, if going through all those sermons, your eyes have always been blind, you haven't seen Jesus, you haven't recognized him, you haven't put connected the dots there. But if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart today, my friend, harden not your heart. God wants to open your eyes. And He does when we choose to believe who Jesus is. I want to encourage you, join the crowd. Join the crowd who believe in who Jesus is. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, (laughs) what this day is all about, if you believe that, you can be saved. May today be the day of your salvation. Let's pray. Jesus, you're our only hope. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your life and how you came, Father, to fulfill every single prophecy in the Old Testament. God, you did it all. And then you encouraged your followers for 40 days and then you encouraged them and us to stay in your word to know your word and trust you when you said you're coming again. And 
you're going to take us to be with you for all eternity. Father, if, if, we, if we pass through this life before you come, we know that to be absent from this body is to be present with you. Not because of what we've done. We can't save ourselves. Jesus, only you can do that. Thank you for that hope that we have. And for others, what a beautiful day that will be when you come again and you part the sky, you part the clouds. We go ascend to be with you forevermore. What a blessed day that will be. God in Christ, we win. We win. We cannot lose. And if there's one here this morning, Lord, that doesn't have that hope, may they know that today they can have it. That Jesus, you see them. You know their every thought. Help them to see this to give their heart and life to you. If that's your prayer this morning, if that's the desire of your heart, you just pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, today I believe. I believe that you are God who came and lived that perfect life and died for my sins. Lord, I believe that three days later you came back to life. Forgive me of my sin. I surrender my life to you. Help me to live for you all the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.